0: Hey Nora.
1: Hey Sandy. How you doing? Feeling pretty good. Feeling pretty good. It was
0: election day in Quebec City today.
1: Ooh. Uh, election day
0: across the province, actually. Okay, like one of the municipal elections for the province, right?
1: Yeah the the municipal election. Yeah, uh-huh. it's me. I love this it's Sunday voting. It's so um, interesting to me. Why? Well, it's like a day off. You're just like, yeah, I'll vote now, or maybe I'll vote later. And anyway, I didn't vote today because I voted in the advance polls, but. This, um, it's looking pretty interesting. It looks like uh, most of Quebec's major cities will be run by white women. So that's a change. That's, uh, Montreal keeping their mayor, Longueuil, going to this 29-year-old Catherine Fournier, who's pretty interesting. Uh, seemingly, like, she'll win. I mean, it's not called yet, but that's what we've got. And in Quebec City, um... Not that they're winning, but there's this amazing new political party that has been founded in the last couple of years called Transition Quebec. And it has been so amazing to watch a municipal election where there's an actual left wing party and an actual left wing option on the table.
0: That is great. How did that come about? Well, they've been organizing, as I say, for
1: a couple of years now. Um, And it's a group of people who had started uh, another political party that was called Option Nationale. And when ON merged with Quebec's leader, a lot of the folks who had helped to create the party in the first place looked municipally rather than staying with the provincial party. And they decided to form a left wing uh, alternative uh, to what we have in our municipal politics, which is very personality based. I mean, most of the teams are just like team Regis Labome or team Mary jo- Mary-José Savard. Mm-hmm. And so Transition Quebec comes out and has like a complete platform that is deep and thought out and that is unequivocally left wing. And the thing that is just so great is we have this mega project that I've talked about before, this, this um Third connection from Quebec City to Levy, from the North Shore to the South Shore. And the plan that's on the table right now is, is a literal joke, right? One of the most expensive projects in the world for the kind of infrastructure that it is for two cities that are 750,000 people and 100,000 people. It's completely ridiculous. But no one has the political courage to come out and say, this is this. the emperor is naked, folks. Everyone is actually like, oh, we don't know. I'll we'll have to wait. We'll have to wait and see. But you talk to any bureaucrat working on this, this they're like, this is an impossible project. It's never going to happen. But it's very popular mm-hmm. because people hate traffic here. So, right. you know, Transition Quebec is like, no, of course we're against the Troisième Lien. Like, it is it is ridiculous. It's a ridiculous project. You might as well promise fucking air balloons for everybody. And, um, and I don't know how they're going to do tonight. I don't know if they're going to win a seat, but I sure hope they do. But at the very least, this just amazing to see a place where people can get active and organized through... Uh, in this case, through municipal politics.
0: man, I just love the, um, you know, political options, the political imagination, political courage uh, that goes down in Quebec, you know, like people are willing to try <laughs> something new instead of mm-hmm. being beholden to the narratives that are given to them by uh, the ruling parties, the most popular parties, and to create something new. And so, you know, that's, uh, that is uh, inspiring in some ways, so looking forward to seeing what the ultimate uh, decision mm-hmm. is uh, in Quebec City. Yeah,
1: and also just like it's not something that's necessarily like innate to this place. Um, the head of Transition Quebec is someone who's a friend of mine named Jackie Smith, and she's from Hamilton. <laughs> so it's pretty cool to see a Hamiltonian uh, running for mayor of Quebec City.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, OK, we'll be watching that. Great. I didn't even ask how you were. That
1: was a ridiculously long answer to your question. How are you doing?
0: Oh, I'm fine. You know, just another day dealing with regular LA traffic. <laughs> it's, oh, magic. It's great. Uh, but instead of thinking about that, maybe I would like to think instead about all of the people we should be thanking this week.
1: Yes. So thanks to everybody again, who's changed their, their, their donation to us or donated to us for the first time. We really appreciate it. And especially this week, thank you to Leanne, Brian. Adrian, Rachel, Ruth, Philip, Arthur, Ronak, uh, conquer me, Daddy Torva. Oh, Jesus. I had to Google that. It didn't seem it didn't make much sense to me. I have to say, but there you go. I hope someone just proposed to someone else for uh, to be a life partner. <laughs> and Justin, thank you to everybody who, who's donated to the show this past week.
0: Yes, thank you so much. Nora, I understand that you saw a some sort of demonstration pass by your home recently, and it had a little bit of some weird stuff going on,
1: mm-hmm, yeah. So this is going to foreground the discussion for tonight's episode, but uh, a couple of days ago, a rally walked by my front door, which is not uncommon. I live in a place where there's lots of rallies that walk by my front door. Um, And my partner goes, hey, something's going on outside. Um, Oh, and they're carrying crosses. Oh, come check it out. And, you know, the the religious activity in this place is pretty low. Uh, When I lived in Toronto and you'd see people walking up and down the street with crosses, it was usually like a Portuguese thing. Uh, Catholic, religious, Jesus on a cross thing. And I thought, oh, weird. Okay. We don't have that so much in Quebec City, but let's see what's going on. And so I run outside. And I had just been like, <laughs> back to a previous episode, I'd just been uh, carving uh, squash. And so I had squash all over my hands and I was, I was holding two spoons. And uh, and I run outside and my hands are covered in squash. And it's a rally against a new tramway project that has been in the news and because of our election and the election uh, cycle for, well, recently and for many, many years. And so it's a new tramway project. And I didn't really get the connection with the crosses. But okay, so I, I'm really, really for this project. We absolutely need it in Quebec City. And so I just did like – I was thinking like what do I do? Like I don't want to shout at them. It seems like over the top to get too dramatic about this. I mean they're carrying crosses so they've got the the corner – like the market cornered on drama. And so I just <laughs> put like both of my thumbs down, like holding these spoons, my hands covered in in, in, in you know guts. I hit thumbs down. And the reaction was, was. Unbelievable! People started screaming at me, and a bunch of men like ran up to my front step. And someone started taking my picture, and 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 giving me the finger. Like a whole bunch of guys giving me the finger, and they're yeah blah 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 you blah all this stuff in French, like fuck you and all this stuff. And um and my kids are standing there, and they're like, mommy, why are they giving you the finger? That's so hilarious! Oh my god, that guy also is giving you the finger! Oh my god! And some <laughs> oh, old woman god. starts screaming at me, and she's screaming at me, think of your, th- think of your children. How dare you give us a thumbs down? Think of your children We're fighting for your children. And I'm like, OK, this is over a proposed tramway in a city that had a functional tramway from like 1880 until 1940 or something <laughs> like it is not that radical. And the way this crowd was reacting was like. It was, it was reminding me or making me, making me wonder if we've entered, if we are already in a new political era where everything is cranked to 11 and the stakes are always the highest they can be, regardless of what we're talking
0: about. Well, I'm, I'm kind of still stuck on the crosses because I don't, I don't understand. (laughs) I don't know. But I'm going to (laughs) leap over the crosses (laughs) to say that, you know, I think you might be onto something. I mean, last week we were talking about polarization online. And I think there's a way that those algorithms that have uh, encouraged us increasingly to, to let go of nuanced conversation are also causing some some of that to leave online and to be offline as well. And I think that certain movements use that um to their advantage, and so you know when you were saying that story, it reminded me of this video that had been making the rounds on the internet last week of of you know that anti masker guy, the one with the teeth, yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> the I rich don't guy I want to say is. Yeah, I don't really want to say his name, but he's like, you know, the muscle shirts and the teeth. (laughs) He's like, (laughs) you know, traveling across Canada on his like, no one wear masks or get vaccinated kind of crusade. Uh, There was a video that was making the rounds last week of him out in BC, I believe. And uh, his supporters are like, I don't know, playing some music at a demonstration And he becomes so incensed by this and he like goes up to the mic and starts screaming at his supporters about how they're not taking this seriously and that they're fighting for their lives and that this is, you know, this is like uh, the most dire thing that could possibly be going on. And don't they understand the seriousness of what they're doing and they can't just be out here playing music that this is like the fight for their lives and like, you know, at first the crowd seemed a little, like, taken aback, but then, I don't know, 30 seconds to a minute in, like, people are kind of applauding him mm. <laughs> for this sort of reaction, and that does make me nervous um, a little bit, because, like, I mean, Nora, you and I have been in this position on the other side, you know, being at demonstrations, for, like, I'm, I'm remembering a demonstration, Um against uh tuition fees i'm remembering a demonstration that was like to end islamophobia on campus um two very different issues um differing levels of immediate danger for those two issues seeing counter uh, folks who were like counter to to us um in both of those uh, situations and it has never occurred to me uh being an organizer to like go start focusing (laughs) on the, the counter organizers and to be violent with them like that. I've just, you couldn't, there's nothing, there was literally nothing that could make me do that. Like I'm so focused on what the, whatever the the goal is for the day. Um, And I think about what it would take me, what it would take to like, to, to make me change my mind about something or like to make me change my path about something in the middle of a demonstration It's just like, (laughs) it just wouldn't happen. And it it does make me a little bit nervous to think about uh, everything being on level 14. Uh
1: Yeah, I was thinking about that too. Um, I didn't go back to thinking of those counter protests, um, although they were also pretty lighthearted, right? Like the the counter protesters to the tuition fee rallies were always like very hilarious, very typical campus conservatives who were just like, okay, guys, right? And um, if there were ever anybody going up from one side to the other, it was usually a lot more like, what the fuck? Like, (laughs) you're here calling for higher tuition fees? What the fuck? Like, make that make sense. That doesn't make sense. But I was imagining marching for any of the environmental causes or issues. I mean, marching for the tramway or marching against pollution from the port of Quebec, which is a big issue locally. Um, And if anyone, as we were marching by, was like giving us a thumbs down, I would just be like, oh, that's too bad. Like... Huh. or huh there's someone who's supposed to the tramway that's so funny um this 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 way that um that political discussion and political dis- disagreement um, is manifesting itself uh, I think that there's a lot to unpack here which is why we wanted to do this episode about um why is everything so uh highly cranked um and you know, I think that we covered off the social media angle last week, and social media, I think, plays a really important role. But it's not just social media. I think that that this is where mainstream media has a lot of blame because it's things are always covered as if it's like – um first like there's no gray area there's no like there's no distance between yes and no or a project and no project like there couldn't be some sort of like modification made necessarily in the middle which would then probably take the pressure off of uh, off of people um at least make it feel like it's not like the end of the world um but we are experiencing moments that actually are the end of the world and it doesn't seem like there's any ability uh, to parse out what is and what is not the end of the world like even the climate stuff, it's like, can we not go from climate change doesn't exist to we're gonna die if COP twenty six isn't a success? Like that is literally the the shift in from from media that we're getting uh, on these uh, in the way that they're talking about climate, and it's just like that has an impact on the people receiving the message, and it has an impact on feeling isolated and anxious and like there's nothing they can do and it's all a done deal and all of these corrupt people are never going to save us and so then it's just like then you literally can't do anything and then the other side of that is like the is the really extreme reactions where you're like oh no actually I'm gonna set myself on fire because things are so bad and it's like how did we get away from that middle ground between those two poles are you calling for centrism (laughs)
0: <laughs> shit no <laughs> no I'm a little worried about you Nora <laughs> no because I think that I actually
1: think that it is a centrist tactic to um, to pretend that that everything is is either left or right is, is either these extremes because the center only exists when there are extremes that have been defined right and then you get these situations where you have Justin Trudeau on a national stage literally like equating the far right, so people who are like this individual who looks like a baseball mitt who goes to city as cross city telling people to get COVID, um, being just as bad as someone who's at Fairy Creek trying to save forests, right? Like the, the, there, there's no universe where those two people are just as bad as each other that unless you're a liberal, like unless you're literally sitting in the middle and being like, whoa, like, I'm sorry, you're going to break the law? That's the same thing. It's like, no, but... <laughs> They're not, the, they're not even close to the same thing. And so it's, like, it's interesting because it's like all of this is, is, is thanks to the way that the center has oriented our, our understanding of issues and our understanding of what needs to happen.
0: Yeah. And I, I also think, I mean, that's part of it. I also think that what's happening uh, as well is that people are feeling right now a whole host of things, desperate, um, uh, feeling the, uh, the weight of the way our world is organized, Uh, it's become uh, very, very real for a larger population of people than I would say pre-COVID. You know, like the the inequalities are expanding. Mm -hmm. And for people who are not, who have not come to a certain level of consciousness around how the way our society is organized has an impact on how they are feeling, a lot of these people are looking for a place uh, to put their frustrations about the world, and uh, and you know, like seeing you know during COVID at this time when when everything that we were seeing and understanding about the world was really coming to us through screens, seeing through screens um, this you know, what was on the news every day. was COVID or some sort of protest, whether it was BLM or the climate or indigenous uh, activism or um, anti-vaxxers or white supremacists. Like, this is what we were seeing mostly on our television screens and on our phone screens and on our computer screens. And I think that that has had uh, an impact, both of those things have had an impact on how people are operationalizing their, their fears and frustrations about the world. Because, you know, it brought to people that, hey, there is a way that you can fight against your frustrations and it looks like activism. But it also brought to people um, all of these different options for how they could come to understand the world right now. And so if you're feeling really frustrated and um, nervous about the future, you could try to understand, like you could understand the world to be this oppressive force that's harming you um, in, in, in because of all of these hegemonic forces like capitalism, racism, sexism, so on. Or you could also understand it as, you know, Uh, the government uh, is secretly trying to follow you or is working with Bill Gates to make sure that you can't breathe good air. I'm not really sure what the, the exact arguments are, but in trying to understand the world from a place of frustration has really provided quite a boon to fascist organizing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and I think that
1: there's so few places for us to have these kinds of conversations in real life, um, and even online, because the online space is so difficult to have a, a deep conversation about the actual state of the world, that we see these expressions of... Of of serious rage and violence. I mean, like the the incredible spike in domestic violence or gender based violence or violence uh, against um, against individuals in a relationship is just like, yeah, this is this is the effect of the of the last two years, the collapse of social solidarity, a global pandemic. And there's no groups like this is where it's like the NDP and the unions and other social movement organizations that um, are are still around. Some are doing their best. Obviously, others are probably still as wounded as, uh, you know, everyone else is. There's very there's very few places to go and be able to say, OK, I'm here. I want to do something. I'm ready to fight for something and not just that but i'm also ready to meet other people and talk through some of this stuff and to understand the the impact that capital is having on my on my increasingly difficult circumstances. You know, i was i had a friend over today. I mean, like just to be able to say that how nice is that? Oh my god. <laughs> it was so interesting to talk to her. She's from Toronto, like was, you know, born and raised in Toronto and now lives here. And just how she's seeing her friends and family in Toronto struggling every year with Even more and more and more demands on them for rent and for cost of living and all this stuff. It's just like everybody's getting the screws turned to them. And so we talked about like the Toronto We Knew and we left the same time almost and how it's changed or whatever. And then she talks about her work uh, where she's like witnesses this doubling in disability claims over the summer, like this just incredible wave of people who are suffering under the weight of the pandemic and that are already in precarious situations that one thing happens, one injury, one job loss, one relationship falling apart. And it is like their entire house of cards falls down. And it's like this is happening in so many circumstances. And then I have another conversation for an interview uh, for for an article that I'm writing of someone who was on the front lines of the pandemic for the, you know, until now witnessing this incredible wave of death and being, you know, forced to have these traumatic experiences over and over and over of listening to people die. And, You look at the state, you sit back and go, the state isn't doing anything for these people. The state isn't doing anything. In fact, the state is taking away supports. It's taking away the CERB. It's not intervening to help give people the services that they need. It is not creating uh, services for people that have long COVID. It's not even doing anything really to control the COVID that we have because all they're saying is go get vaccinated. And it's like there's pockets of people that will never get vaccinated and they will continue to be uh, a risk of getting COVID and then and then that creates perpetuates this, this problem even further and of course the biggest pocket of those people is children and it's like fuck uh, fuck, fuck 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 it's getting worse and so obviously there's going to be a uh, an unorganized backlash to this organized oppression that we're experiencing and i guess it's there that it's like okay so what do we do about it like what do we fucking do
0: <laughs> Yeah. And I and it's not just unorganized because some of it is organized like at least from the the organizers at the top, the fascist organizers at the top who know what they're doing when they are rerouting someone's uh fears and anguish over uh their current life situation to um fascist uh causes. Um so it, you know, it's it's both this unorganizedness and it's also this like the insidiousness of of like fascist organizing, and gosh, like what do we do? I I, <sighs> I think, <laughs> uh, I think that the most important thing that we could do right now, anyone, is to really, really focus on political education. It's at this this moment in time that, you know. We we really need to peer to peer make sure that we are understanding why the world is the way that it is, um, and make sure that our the people around us that we love also understand why the world is the way that it is, so that. You know, they don't get had by some of these uh, other organizations that are really vying for uh, their attention and then their support to to these causes. And I really think that, you know, we were talking a, f- a few episodes ago about how, you know, there's there's like a few of us in this country who are doing a lot of political education um Uh, consistently, for those of you who are listening, who are, you know, I've said this before, part of political parties, but also who are part of just organizations, just generally organizations, if you have the ability to um, provide some sort of educational infrastructure that people can access for free, that would be easy, that's not, that you're not just expecting people to come find, but we're going out there and searching for people um, to provide it, now is the time. I mean, we desperately need more political education for people to understand what's going on and to understand how the how the political system itself is failing us. And uh, we need a way to do it um, that sees us doing the work of going out and grabbing people. We also need to understand that this is a time of... You know, many a think piece has been written on this. This is a time of great loneliness. And um, the pandemic itself was a time of really great loneliness. And people are finding not just the answers to their political questions and their frustrations in in organizations right now or or these, these like movements, whether good or bad. They're also finding community, um, which is so crucial. It's uh, a whole lot of, Uh, The reason why people become involved in in anything is uh, to make connections with other people. And we on the left uh, and in this country more broadly need to be better at going out there, being committed to being in relationships with one another, um, in community relations with one another, and to educate one another and not just expect people to just Mm. figure it out themselves. I don't know if you
1: saw this video that was circulating recently on Twitter, but it's of Kwame Ture. I
0: did from The Black I did. Panthers. I did. I know yes. exactly what you're talking about. But explain it for the people.
1: If you don't know who Kwame Toure is, uh he is uh or was an intellectual heavyweight within the Black Panthers. And oftentimes you'll see his speeches shared online because they are so um, perfect actually, for social media because they're like you can take any two minute clip or any four minute clip or any ten minute clip or the entire speech and be like "Yes, yes, yes, this is so good, but this one in particular was was him talking about the difference between mobilization and organization. And I thought it was, like, exactly the kind of conversation that we need right now, Um, because I've been thinking a lot about this as I've been doing this other podcast on feminism and how uh, the current era has transformed social movement organizing into being, like, celebrity activists or individuals. and. You know, the state needs celebrity activists and they need celebrity level individuals because they're easy to ignore or co-opt or harass into silence. But movements are very, very difficult to do that. And so Touré was talking about mobilization being easy. And mobilization is easy. You can mobilize for anything, he says. And, you know, I'm when listening to this. I'm thinking of all the things that have made me, you know, create fast mobilizations. Um, and there's often good reasons to do that, right? It's sometimes you're like, you know, want to make sure that there's an event that, that happens to say that we collectively condemn this, right? So you want people to come out in the street to say we are condemning that. But we have slid so far to mobilization being the only thing that we do that I was like, oh, my God, yes, this is amazing. Amazing for especially for people who are becoming politically aware during the pandemic and who never really have experienced political organizing. It's it's the, the kind of thing that is the only way we will fight this bizarre. Um, I don't want to say polarization because I actually think polarization is good. <laughs> And I, let me know if you want me to explain why, but I, 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 the 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 violent rage that is coming up with some of these like opinions that otherwise should not be there, like you know regular urban planning or city or municipal or provincial or federal debates that are being wrapped up with like death level stakes driven by the by the right. Um, I think organizing is our only way to fight against those kinds of tendencies because. When we're organized, we have average people that are impervious to that, number one, and number two, who are then able to do their own popular education with their own circles to try and change minds that go far beyond the organized core of any movement.
0: Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, I, we, we once did an episode that um, it's one of my favorites where we talked about how we know what we know, like we, that we could, you know, someone I think had asked us uh, a question, we were talking about maybe an organization or something, and people were like, how did you know this? Or how could you make these predictions? And, I mean, all it is is really um, this, you know, the the commitment to continued political education and understanding principles. Like, once you got your principles on lock, you can understand, you can come at an issue. And um, as long as it, you know, adheres to these particular values that you have... Uh, you know, rigorously spent time studying and understanding, then you can pretty quickly um, figure out the way the world works or where things fall on a political spectrum. And um, I I worry that there's uh, fewer and fewer of us who, who are uh, really, you know, making sure that other people are getting that sort of political education as well, making sure that other people are developing these sorts of principled, value-laden responses uh, to the world around them. It's so, so important. Like, we've got these scripts, and... Please stick with me. What I'm about to say might sound really frustrating to some of you, so just, like, hang on. Just give me a second to to finish my point, okay? Just stick with me, okay? (laughs) Nora, stop laughing. Stick with me. I promise this is all going to make sense. So when I say scripts, and, again, you might get frustrated about what I'm about to say, but just stick with me. Um, An example of a script is... You know, if someone, say, uh, decides that uh, they, they want to do a, a particular response um, or they've come up with a particular idea, and then someone responds with, uh, "The master's tools will never bring down the master's house," or something like that. that's one of our scripts on the left. Mm-hmm, now, right. I want to preface this by saying that sometimes the script is correct, okay? Something like the script comes from a place where um, you know we we are constantly faced with some of this the same tactics. And so we've, we've come to a place where, you know, we have these shorthands that we grab and we, we say to people like, you know, it's, it's not my job to educate you. Go figure this out. Like these scripts, you know, like there's these scripts. But we have to understand the value and the principles from where these scripts come from so that we understand that those scripts are not always right. Like they're not always the correct thing to use in response to something that someone is telling you. We need to have practiced deeper thoughts than just our scripts. And I think that this isn't just something that's an issue on the left. I think it's also an issue just generally right now in our political um, discourse is that people reach for these scripts as part of how we have conversations. And it is really harming our ability to truly actually understand one another, to build relationships with one another and to be in community with one another. Are you still with me? I hope you are. Did I, did I explain that okay, Nora? Does that make sense, what I just said? Sometimes I, I wonder if the
1: scripts are in the place of a true response, which is, I don't know, or I'm not close enough with you to have this conversation, or... This is just too much right now. I, I, I just don't have time. And those are all different kinds of reasons to to, to fall back on one of those scripts that, I, that are all legitimate. I mean, I'm not saying that you shouldn't like ever say that as an excuse for why you can't res- necessarily engage with someone. But I do think that we have to make a priority in entering in those conversations and especially if you have the opportunity to do that in real life with someone who you know and someone who you trust and who trusts you to be building like political knowledge amongst your friends and your family like that's that's really where it starts but then you know building out uh, deliberately into uh, into groups of of, of people finding finding groups you know here's here's something that I I got uh, this week from a listener and Sandy I haven't told you this So someone was in touch with me and said, hey, I took your advice, I got involved with my student union, and it's fucking shitty, everybody here sucks. (laughs) They didn't say that exactly, but that was kind of the, the sense of their words. And they were like, what am I supposed to do here now that I'm here, right? And... I, the, the advice that I gave to them, and I think that this is like, if you are going to you know, stick your neck out and create something for the first time or or get involved and do something for the first time, th- you have to build a team, right? You have to build people around you or you have to find other people who are doing similar work and be like, hey, can we be in a team together? <laughs> and sometimes building a team means building uh, a, an issue, right? Saying, well, no, we're going to actually fight for this change on campus or this change in the city or this change in the community. And people will come out and say, yes, I support that change. This is what organizing is, right? and they might they, you might help to find those people through mobilizing you might have an event you might have a rally and you're like holy crow there's people here okay so we're going to go around we're going to collect everybody's information and then all of a sudden you're building a community of people around you who uh, by definition are on the same page with you on some issue, probably not on the same page with you as every issue, but that's fine. That's That That doesn't matter because what you're going to then do is you have to build out from there. And that is really uh, confusing if you've never done it. It's a lot of hard work if you have done it and you feel burnt out. Um, if you don't know where to start or you're new to a community or you uh, are, you know, afraid because you don't speak the language, that's certainly something I <laughs> experienced when I moved here. That's all fine, but, you know, there's there's no shortage of places that you can get yourself plugged into, um, but once you get there, you can't see it as being a, a, an individual endeavor, that you always have to be looking out for how do you multiply yourself or the people on your side. And I think that thinking like that gets around some of those script fallbacks because, then it isn't like a burden to to educate somebody because your job is to do that. That's what you're trying to do, and then you're also trying to receive education from them, right? This is everything that I'm saying. I'm, I I hope people understand as being two way streets or three way streets, right? Where we're engaging together, and here's my knowledge, and that's your knowledge, and together we're gonna build something, and we're gonna debate ourselves through building building something. This is how it's done. This is the very bare bones of of organizing, and um and we're just. We're just in this place right now where it, I don't know if it feels impossible or if it feels unsurmountable, but you know, Sandy, today is the hundred and fourth anniversary of the start of the Bolshevik Revolution. <laughs> okay, I, <laughs> I think. <laughs> That if if you are not inspired, not you, Sandy, I know you have a lot of inspiration from a lot of struggles. Um, but if you're not inspired by something in particular, if if you don't know necessarily about the Bolshevik Revolution, if you don't know the work of, of Kwame Ture and the Black Panthers, if you don't know about the Haitian Revolution, if you don't know about, about something that can really turn your passion into a desire to do something, into action, then you have to start there. Then you have to start the reading and you have to find the stories, and you will find those stories because they're out there. There's a lot of them. And there's a lot of great things that are happening today as well. But the nice thing about the historical examples is you can see what happens. <laughs> you know, the, the story is written for you. It's 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 done. You can read the whole thing. And and I think that it's really important for people to start there if they're not sure where else they should start.
0: Yeah, and I, you know, I've often heard, and perhaps as a script, another script, uh, is, you know, Organizing isn't all about books. Isn't not everybody has the time to to read all of these things and so on. And that is absolutely true. And if you if you can't if you don't have the time or you can't read, then you know listen. There's there's lots of uh, podcasts or radio shows that you can listen to, or put it out there into the world and uh, see if people will be willing to um, have some sort of build some sort of community around helping each other to understand a thing, you know, like um, the, so much of, you know, what a lot of people get in their youth, whether it's uh, when they're at college or at university or just uh, hanging out with people um, in terms of understanding our political world. I mean, a lot of it for me, sure. Some of it's from books, but a lot of it for me is from conversations. A lot of it for me is from uh, um, being a part of communities of people who are uh, committed to making the world different, changing the world, bending the world, um, and so it, you know, it's it's this stuff isn't just in books, but we also shouldn't shy away from books. We should try to get our our learning in around the state of our world in any way that we can, in any way that makes sense to us. Um, I think that's really important. Mm.
1: I just want to say one last thing. So at the start of the show, um, I was talking about this political party in Quebec City. And uh, it looks like, I mean, there's 38 of 58 polls reporting. But it looks like Jackie, who leads Transition Quebec, is going to win at least her seat. Um, Oh,
0: yay. I
1: hope I'm not wrong. uh, But but she's ahead. She's got 35, almost 36% of the vote in the riding uh, with the next person down under uh, 27. So I just want to say... It is possible. Uh, you can get involved in, your, in politics, but build a team. Don't do it by yourself because it's lonely out there and you'll, you'll burn yourself out.